Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. Our coverage continues down in Atlanta, SEC Media Days. The Kentucky Wildcats take center stage. Mark Stoops coming off a 10-win season with Grant Coach, congratulations on the success, and I know you're looking to build for the immediate future. Thank you. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. Our coverage continues down in Atlanta, SEC Media Days. The Kentucky Wildcats take center stage. Mark Stoops coming off a 10-win season with Grant Coach, congratulations on the success, and I know you're looking to build for the immediate future. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, very proud of uh, some of the things that we've done, but uh, like everybody here, looking for more. Uh, excited about this season. I really uh, appreciate the work that our guys are doing, and uh, we're anxious to get rolling. In a conference where programs tend to eat their own, for lack of a better way to explain this, yeah. buyouts <clears throat> excuse me, are, are handed out left and right. You're the second longest tenured head coach behind only Nick Saban going into year number 10. Um, there, there has to be great pride in the continuity and cohesive group that you have around you within the athletic department, but also within your program. Thank you. Yeah, with, without a doubt. Um, I'm fortunate uh, going into year 10, same athletic director, same president. Um, that, that, that really helps. Uh, we have a really solid foundation. We've been working hard for many years. Uh, to to continue to improve. Um, somebody was telling me earlier that, yeah, there was only 27 coaches in the history of the SEC that made it at the same school 10 years. So, um, you know, and people ask me, you know, who, who do I get along with in, in the SEC? And until we had the meetings down at Destin, we, you know, it was a totally new group with COVID and, and all that. Uh, there, it's, a, it's kind of a revolving door. Uh, so I feel fortunate to uh, work extremely hard to, to continue to improve at Kentucky and you know, trying to take it to the next level. Yeah, pressure may be the wrong word here for, for the, the NIL discussion, but you've built uh, the program that's been able to catch or pass everyone but Georgia in the East. Um, is, it, is NIL just something that you have to adapt to or embrace, even if you don't want to? Because if you don't, you're going to lose out on what you've been building over the last decade. Without question. Yeah, you are correct. I mean, you know, it's one of the phrases that I use a lot and somebody that helps me with some of the leadership things of military term, but adapt and overcome, you know, in any situation. And that this, this is one of them. Um, we embrace the NIL and love the fact that our players get to, you know, profit from that. I think with all the frustration comes from the coaches and the uncertainty is, is what's going on with all the collectives and what's going on with, you know, paying the high school recruits and, and things of that nature. That's, that's what, uh, you know, how sustainable that is. I think all of us are extremely concerned about that. Um, so, 
it's just different times. But again, just different challenges. Uh, we're used to those challenges at Kentucky, and uh, we'll hit them, you know, head on. I have a great administration to lean on, and we'll get through it. So, uh, I mean, you may laugh at it. How do you how do you catch Georgia? Uh, if you've if you've caught or surpassed everyone else, if you're neck and neck now at number two, how do you get to number one in the East? Well, it, it, as you know, that's that's a that's, that's a tall mountain to climb, but that, that's something that we're striving for. Um, you know, we have to continue to put ourselves in a position. You know, when we get opportunities to to compete at a high level, you know, we've had an opportunity to play them in last several years you know to play a game that that gets you to atlanta and uh, couldn't get it done uh that's a credit to kirby uh georgia and what they're doing the way they're recruiting and uh you know the way they develop them and the way they're coaching them they, they they've got a great thing going and i have a lot of respect uh for kirby and for georgia um i can't control them i could only control what we do and uh, we're going to continue to battle, continue to climb. I think when you have a quarterback like Will Levis, that's a great start because he's an extremely talented player. And with that, you have the ability to elevate the guys around you. And uh, we need to do that. The last time the program had a quarterback that garnered this much excitement with the fan base was probably 25 years ago with Tim Couch. Yeah. Uh, how has Will Levis handled the expectation off last year into this year? And aren't those signs of expectations – uh, a good thing, uh, given what uh, you're now facing at uh, at Kentucky coming off the 10-win season. Yeah, I really do not worry about that aspect of it with Will because Will is is self-motivated. He is driven to be a great player. He puts so much pressure on himself. The outside noise and the attention, he deserves that. Uh, let's face it, in this day and age, you, you know, with the accolades and the awards at the, in the postseason and things of that nature, if he does what he's supposed to do on the field, he deserves that kind of attention. He, he He's put himself in that position, and I really don't worry about that. You know, our team is very selfless. Will is a fantastic leader. He's a great person. Just watch him play. If you don't have respect for him the way you, you know, the way he plays the game, then you're really not a college football fan because this guy lays it on the line. And he plays for his team. He plays for more than himself. Uh, yes, he wants to be great. He deserves to the accolades that he's getting, but he cares about his teammates. Mark Stoops, our guest head coach for the Kentucky Wildcats. Um, as you transition off last year into this year, Coach, uh, quite the talent that is now in the NFL that was playing wide receiver for you in Wondell Robinson last year. Chris Rodriguez is back in the backfield. The nucleus that you carry over, how much can you lean on the successes of last year to help lead you to the the start of this this season? And and what do you, what do you make of the change at offensive coordinator and how that's worked through the spring and summer? Yeah, very pleased. Obviously, a year ago went through a major transition with us. We all know we've been a physical team, can run the ball, but we've been falling short with getting the ball down the field, and that's what I looked for a year ago when I went out and uh, and found Liam and hired Liam Cohen and uh, very pleased with what we did in that first year and, and proud of Liam. He moved uh, to, to the NFL and is the coordinator in L.A. right now. But with that success, we were able to uh, attract a guy like Rich Gangriello. And, and for Rich to, to, to you know, come and, and take this job, I am extremely excited about it because the systems blend. There are definitely some differences and nuances that that Rich will be involved in. But but overall, he understands very clearly what we did last year, what Will does well, things we want to keep and then things that, that we can tweak. But we want to continue to build on that. And that was, you know, 
extremely important to me uh, with the with the offensive coordinator hire. I did not want to take a step backwards and uh, definitely very excited about Rich and what we're doing offensively. Finally, Coach, what's the next level for your offense? Your defense is always very consistent. Um, and you said you're transitioning to that that style. What's the next level you think you can reach this year? Well, for us, is is just continue to make the routine players look routine. We want to continue to be a physical football team, be able to run the football and play action pass off of that. We were able to do that last year. We created some chunk plays, some plays down the field that we hadn't been able to do in previous years. Um, in this system with Rich, you know, a, a little bit more multiple in the run game, which kind of suits us. We've been a very physical football team. And with that, some boots and play actions that could come off. Mark Stoops has been our guest. Coach, uh, congrats on the recent success on the decade at, at Kentucky. And uh, best of luck to you as you kick off the season in a month. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. And you have a great day. Same to you. There's Mark Stoops, head coach of the Kentucky Wildcats. Stay tuned. More coming on Outkick 360. A great talk with Mark Stoops. Next up, Jonathan Hutton. Earlier today, talked to Arkansas safety Jalen Catalan. Outkick 360 rolls on Jalen Catalan. Look, uh, offensively, defensively, Arkansas was among the, the top teams talked about last year. And it wasn't at this time. They made a name for themselves as they continued through the season. And Sam Pittman's group, certainly not under the radar in Atlanta this year. Sure. Jalen, how are you, man? Man, I'm doing good. I can't complain. Uh, it's been a great experience out here, and I'm enjoying it. How would you describe the last 9 to 12 months on campus at Arkansas? Uh, it's been a roller coaster ride. I mean, you know, I go from – you know, going in the season, being all this, that, and then, you know, then getting hurt, having to deal with all that. And then it was tough, but then, you know, you look at it now and, you know, I'm glad it happened because it changed my mind. It got me, it humbled me really easily. You know, I mean, I felt like I was already in good space, but then when I happened, I felt like, damn, I'm even a better space now because I was able to work on my mind and not only just rehab myself, rehab my mind and just keep myself right, you know? So I feel like I'm in a, be a better spot than I was before. When did your injury happen? Midway through the season almost? Nah, so what people don't know, I kept it. So now that the season about to be started, I'll keep it. I kept it low key, but I was hurt probably since spring. And no one knew that. I tried to keep it low key. I thought it was something minor, but then I get to fall camp and it hurts worse. Found out what I had. So trying to deal with that. So I was already injured. I was just trying to deal with it. But then, you know, of course, as the season progressed, you know, by week, by game three, you know, my shoulder was, I mean, basically done, but, you know, I still wanted to keep playing. And, you know, I break my, I broke my hand fourth, like third play of the game against AM, and and then that happened. So it was just a, it was a tough year, you know, with injury, you know, and I tried to keep playing, but, you know, it was just tough to deal with. And, you know, after making, you know, call with, you know, with Odom and um, Pittman, you know, I had to make that decision, you know, I had to get surgery, I had to fix myself up, you know, and I'm just glad I did because, I mean, I'm not happy I did it, but I knew I needed to be done or for me to get myself right. And, you know, I'm glad I did. Team held himself right. And I'm good now. Jalen Catalan, our guest, Arkansas Razorback. Um, perfect fit for Sam Pittman coaching that program. You see it from the inside out. Can, can you explain what Sam Pittman has meant to that locker room? Man, he's meant everything. I, I mean, I've seen him change lives in that locker room. You know, people that, I mean, left – some people that have left Arkansas on a winning record or some people that even left Arkansas with pride, you know, because there's some people that were let out here that, you know, unfortunately they just didn't have that 
that resume to say, okay, yeah, we had this season, you know, or this season, you know, but, but to know that we actually had pride um, back in Arkansas and the hearts of people, I mean, that means something so for people. So uh, it's just, it's just good. He's a good person. I mean, he's a good coach and I think he's a player's coach and, you know, you, I mean, he gets people to play for him because of the person he is. That's much respect to him. I, I have been told by three, now four people, um, that the and I wasn't at the game, but the game between uh, Arkansas and Texas was the loudest game they had attended there. It, yeah. Would you attest to that? Was was the stadium that yeah. hype for that matchup? Yeah, nah, yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it was very, it was very loud. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I had my safety. I mean, I had players like two, I mean, two inches away from me, and they couldn't even hear me. <laughs> I mean, it was that loud. I mean, stadium was rocking. That like it was shaking. And yeah, it was it was it was a it was a hostile environment. It was a crazy environment, but we lived that. We loved it, and you know that's something that I know some people will experience. Like, experience will like live forever in their in their mind in their heart. Jalen Catalan, our guest. Uh, finally, uh, NFL aspirations for sure. Which NFL safeties do you watch on Sundays? Uh, Buddha Baker. Um, that's the guy that I, I try like try to model my game after. I mean, just his intention and you know him coming down. He's just so versatile, you know. He can play it. He can he can play anywhere. And another one I can name is Tyron Matthew. You know, his the way he comes about his business and you know how he plays. You know, that's something that I just love watching. And those are my two guys. If I had a name, that like okay, yeah, those are my guys. I not saying that I want to be just like them, but you know, I model them. You know, out of my game out to them. Yeah, the mindset, the the physical nature of their game, the way they can bogey and disguise plays and coverages. Um, that, that makes sense based on the yep. way you play defense as well. Hey, stay healthy first and foremost. That goes without saying. Yes, sir. Um, but I, I can't wait to see what the what the encore is to what Arkansas is building there in the upcoming season. Yes, sir. Most definitely. I appreciate it. Hey, man, that's uh, Jalen Catalan has been our guest. Appreciate it, Jalen. Yes, sir. Thank you. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. We're live in 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Our coverage continues in Atlanta as well. Trey Wallace and Glenn Gilbo there doing great work for Outkick.com. And our next guest uh, certainly discussed uh, quite a bit off-season, in-season. It doesn't matter because the college football playoff is top of mind for the buzzword of the off-season, really, of the last two years, Paul expansion, both with conference expansion and playoff expansion. Bill Hancock is the executive director of the college football playoff. Bill, it's great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. I appreciate you having me on again. And yeah, we're doing great. Atlanta's great. We just survived a big old thunderstorm <laughs> here. Sorry, you guys were not here to, to <laughs> yeah. hear it. And also sorry, we didn't glad we didn't lose our power. 
No, uh, no doubt about that. I'll continue to knock on wood as I uh, knock on my head here. Um, yep. Eight, 12, 14 team playoffs. We've discussed it all. And, and I certainly know that there are pros and cons. There are advantages and also challenges to any scenario that can be thrown out there. Bill, we are told change is coming. Is, expansion is coming. Is that accurate? I think it is from listening to the conferences, uh, commissioners and presidents. Uh, they all think it's uh, time to do something different or will be when this contract expires. But remember, we have four more years to go on the current agreement. And also remember that the CFP is doing what it was supposed to do. It's extraordinarily popular. We're proud of it. and uh, But we have to look to the future. Does the future include uh, automatic qualifiers? If I had a magic wand, I would say that's going to be a tough putt. Uh, automatic qualifiers were not an easy thing for us back in the BCS days. Um, how do you determine who the automatic qualifiers are? Is was the question that had to be asked back then. And we were so happy to start the CFP with no automatic qualifiers. You probably know about the 12-team proposal. Uh, that was recommended by the committee that had been appointed by the commissioners. And uh, that did not include automatic qualifiers. It included the best six conference champions and the best, the next best six at large teams. It's also difficult to project the automatic qualifiers. I, I, and I, I understand exactly what you're saying, because if you fans would say, well, just the conference champs are, are automatically in the playoff. Well, tell me how many conferences there are. You know, like I can't I can't answer that question right now. Five years down the road. That's that's the difficult part of assuming that we have a landscape the way it is and it's going to be set up the same way that we have it now. Yeah, really, one of the brilliant parts of the working group's proposal was the, the best six conference champions. Nobody gets in automatically. Your champion has to be among the best six as ranked by the committee. Um, the proposal didn't go. Uh, we'll take it up again or some other concept and then uh, I don't know how long in a few months probably and we'll see what happens then will you uh, and I'm gonna ask some maybe some nuanced questions here some uh, nuts and bolts behind the scenes aspects what what is a meeting or a, a session look like when the committee's getting together to discuss these options how many people are in a room on a zoom chat uh, I'm, I'm presuming you're there for all of it fly on the wall like what Take us through a typical meeting. How long does it last? And, and who, who's there specifically negotiating one way or the other here? Yeah. Hello, Mr. Fly. Let me tell you what happens uh, when you're sitting on that wall in there. Uh, we have two governance groups. Uh, the big one is university presidents. And they will be the group that makes the decision about the, the format after this contract ends. Uh, the nuts and bolts are handled by the conference commissioners. So the big group is the board of managers, and the next group is the conference commissioners. Uh, the board is, the, of course, the presidents. Um, when when we, we met several times, as you know, they were all publicized. They were all in the press. And the conversation is, how many teams uh, do we want automatic qualification? Where do we play the games? This is a complex matter. And what I think I would like to see would be making a decision to go ahead with a new format and then filling in some of the blanks later. 
you're not going to be able to, to ask, identify every single thing that has to happen. At least we didn't back in 2012 when we created the playoff. We created the playoff. We knew how many teams were going to, going to be in it. We knew basically where they were going to play, and at least that they'll be in, in the semifinals and be in bowl games. But beyond that, we didn't know. We worked it out later. The meetings are collegial. They're professional. Um, but everybody says what's on their mind. And there was some frustration. You read about that. Sure. Uh, back in January when we met for the for the next to last time uh, in Indianapolis. Um, I think we thought we would make a little more progress. But but also, I don't mean to ramble here, but this is also important to remember is that when we met this time, we were talking about expanding in this contract. So that would have required a change in the contract. And you can't change a contract without the permission of every person who signed it. And so person or entity that signed it. So we, we knew that it was going to be a tough putt because it required unanimity. Now, next time we get going on this, we'll be talking about uh, 2025, 2026 season when we won't have to have unan- unanimity. Then it will be a matter of, hey, here's the, here's the proposal. How many of y'all conferences want to participate? I'm sure you understand the, the debate and the criticism that comes from the conclusion that the committee reaches uh, every criticism, year. Call it, criticism, college athletics, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> and that that's part, uh, that's part of the deal. When it rises to uh, conspiracy theories and ulterior motives and all of that, um, uh, do, do you all get frustrated by that? Do you have to turn off the, the volume on that? How, how, how do you all take that? Well, we are in a day and time, as you know, when everybody has a conspiracy theory for everything. And let me tell you just that there, there weren't any conspiracies in this. There weren't any conspiracies in the, the committee who came up with a proposal. Everybody was trying to do what was best for college football. Uh, every conference speaks for lots of constituents on campus, and the commissioner has to then form a, a consensus opinion, come to our table, and hope we can get a consensus opinion on uh, on moving forward. But no, no conspiracy theories. Oliver Stone was not a part of the process. I want to flip to <laughs> basketball, if I could, for a second. If my math is correct, uh, you've been going to Final Fours for 31 years. Uh, did I do that right? You said after the UNC Duke Classic semifinal in Indianapolis that you had been to 123 Final Four games, and that was a top five for you. Uh, if I'm dividing that by four, presuming you saw the finals, that would be 31 years worth of games. Yeah, I think maybe I did say that, and I didn't do the math right myself because this was my 43rd Final Four in a row. So I was kind of I was kind of multiplying that by three on the spot, and I failed. I was a journalism major, not a math. <laughs> well, I did bad math anyway, there too because I gave you four games per instead of three games per. Well, that's true. Anyway, yeah, I've been 43 consecutive Final Fours, and I'm shooting for 75. Uh, Take us back to your experience at that game, because that that was uh, an all-time classic on TV. What was it like to be there at at UNC Duke and Coach K's last game? Oh, my goodness. Classic. And I had really nice seats uh, right behind the Duke bench. (laughs) And uh, I've known Coach K for a long time, uh, like many of us have that have been around long enough. And it was just one of those moments. Well, as soon as we knew, didn't we, when there was going to be Carolina Duke in the semifinals, we all thought, man, we've got a treat in store. 
And we did. Two really great teams playing their hearts out. It was remarkable. I'll never forget it. Bill, how many years did you run the Final Four? 16. 16 years. And uh, you mentioned your, your relationship with Coach K. You're also very close with Roy Williams. So I'm sure he wasn't far uh, uh, from you in that game. Yep, I talked to Roy at, uh, at that weekend, and um, he became a great friend. Like all coaches do in basketball, you're with them. You're, you're on the official table, and they're at the bench, and you're, you're talking to them at practice. And the relationships that we all have with coaches is something that I will, I will cherish. And Roy and I are within a month of being the same age. And uh, we, we joke that neither one of us has aged uh, a bit <laughs> yeah. in 35 years, I guess, that we've known each other. <laughs> Bill Hancock, our guest, he's the executive director of the college football playoff. The biggest difference between your time, 16 years running the Final Four, and now, Bill, is uh, aside from the landscape of college sports, uh, when you're running the Final Four, you're not handing out the trophy. You're handing out the trophy now uh, on an annual basis, says the executive director. Emmert's not doing that. Yeah. Were you going to make some comment about the Kansas City Jayhawks? <laughs> no, but I know. Uh, no, good. Thank I, you for that. I wasn't, but I, I know you're you're from the Kansas. You're you're from Kansas, right? <laughs> I grew up in Oklahoma. I live in Kansas City, and I work in Dallas. And you, um, did, Hank Stram, was a next door neighbor. He was. Well, his house. He had moved by the time we moved there. We didn't move there till 1983, and uh, he was gone by then. But yeah, his house. We we live across from where Hank lived, and oh, we don't live in a we do not live in a ritzy neighborhood. I guess back when he lived there, it was considered ritzy, <laughs> but now it's just oh, now I, it's just kind of normal. I thought maybe there's a great story uh, being Hank Stram's next door neighbor, but you're saying it was just the house that he used to live in. Yeah, the, the, and I guess the the story is there's somebody matriculating down the field <laughs> from that uh, house. Uh, you mentioned Oklahoma. You of course graduated from Oklahoma. Uh, are you excited to see the the conference expansion like many of us, or do you long for the days of, you know, the old school ways where we had, you know, the Power Five, which is only going to be around for a, a couple more uh, years, it seems? Well, it's hard to speculate about what might happen in conference align realignment, but conference realignment has been happening forever. Uh, yeah. I read a piece the other day that Oklahoma uh, left Oklahoma State behind. Oklahoma A&M at the time, Oklahoma, Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri, Nebraska, and Iowa State bolted away from the Missouri Valley Conference to form the Big Six Conference. Well, that was 1927, Ooh. almost 100 years worth of conference realignment. So if you study your history at all, you know that it's going to repeat itself. So I, th I think we're going to continue to see some form of conference realignment. Um, the one last summer was pretty shocking, and the one this summer was also shocking. But it's just it just it, it's happened forever, and it will continue to happen in some form. I was talking with a coach just the other day, and he told me he's like he's like Hutton. I'm not surprised with any of this. You, I would have told you my life was over whenever the Southwest Conference you know disbanded. He's like it's it, this is nothing compared to the way it was when everyone was just picking up the newspaper to find out what was going on. Um, Bill Hancock. Yeah. What do you guess, mean? What What do you mean? Texas and Arkansas are not going to play yeah, anymore? Exactly. Yeah, the up. The oh my uproar. goodness! Hey, yeah. the um, I'm curious about the. You, you mentioned 2025 when the current deal is up. Is there was there some deadline or is there um, is there a window of negotiation between the college football playoff, the structure, and the TV contract with ESPN, ABC, Disney prior to any of that? Could we see expansion before then? Or is it 
are you telling us, hey, the, the expanded playoff is not going to happen before 2025? Yeah, and 2025 season is the last season of the current contract. I don't think I said that right before, but I know your point. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's it, the, the our board in February when they, they met uh, said we're not going to consider expansion before the end of the contract. The commissioners have told us they're not interested in it, and so uh, we're done talking about it. So that's the answer to your question. Um, but we will come back in sometime in the near future and talk about 26 regular season and beyond. Bill Hancock has been our guest. Uh, hey, always great catching up with you. Um, final, final thing on the way out. I, I, was, uh, I always enjoyed Mike Slive's State of the SEC addresses. He put a ton of thought into them every year. And then you make the radio row rounds and uh, he'd, he'd spend an hour with you if you wanted any given morning with his coffee. Uh, where does Greg Sankey remind you the most of your friend, the late Mike Slive? Oh, boy. I love Mike. I miss him every day. But Greg Sankey is terrific. And uh, when I came over here to talk to you guys, he was down the way in Radio Row uh, doing the same thing Mike Slive did. He prepared that State of the SEC address with the same diligence that Mike did. Um, had some other people look at it on the staff. Uh, he is a brilliant, Greg Sankey is a brilliant leader. And one of the things, one of the best things Mike Slive did was to make, uh, to invite Greg Sankey to join the, the staff well before Greg moved on up to become commissioner. How many marathons are you up to now, Bill? Uh, 15. I'm, I'm now retired after 15 marathons. Uh, my best one was a 306, which is pretty good. Seven, about 710 pace per mile. But I'm not an athlete. I'm a, I'm a piano player. And so I like to say that I'm a pretty fast marathoner for a, an old piano player. Yeah, I think you're a pretty good piano player for a marathoner. <laughs> 15 is pretty legit. Uh, is it uh, Boston and New York or is it beyond just those two big cities? Well, I, I, I ran several, obviously a lot of them, twice in Dallas and okay. uh, qualified for qualified for Boston. Uh, I ran a 317 to qualify for Boston, which is one of the great thrills of my life. Uh, did run New York City twice, loved it. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable to go to those parts of the city in any case, whether you're in a taxi or on a train, but to go there on foot, it was awesome. I loved it. I'm so glad I had that opportunity. And then I think you probably read that I did ride my bicycle across the country. No, I haven't. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I rode from L.A. to Savannah and took 36 days. I averaged about 90 miles a day. And then like, two years later, I rode from Mexico to Canada. Yeesh. Uh, now I'm, I'm, exa I'm exhausted hearing about this right now. And you probably th you probably think I'm crazy, so you probably are going <laughs> to discount everything I said on this interview. No, I think you're living. To, I, I, you're living to like 120 years old is what I'm listening to right now. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you so much for the time and being patient with the show. We we had a lot of guests and moving around, moving parts. You've been very gracious with your time today. We appreciate you. Bill. We enjoyed it. Thank hey, you. Hey, you you guys are great. It's fun, and I'll I'll be happy to do it again anytime you're ready. There's Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff uh, expansion talk will continue, Paul. Uh, there's no doubt about that, even if the guys uh, in the committees, uh, men and women, are saying, hey, uh, we're, we're done here. We're, we're not going to bring this up again. Leave it to us. We will. I got to uh, do that math on that mileage now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> are you exhausted the way I am thinking yeah, about that, the gruel, the grueling aspect of what he's talking about? With they the, said 90 mile a day for 36 days. That's 
3,240 miles. So sounds right. It's, LA uh, to Savannah. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, that makes me less than in so many ways. <laughs> Bill Hancock, uh, yeah, appreciate the time with him. And uh, everyone listening across the Outkick Network, stay tuned. Back with more SEC coverage on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Thanks for being with us across the network, all of our wonderful radio partners and our viewers through all of the multiple ways you can check out the show through the video stream. Just search out Outkick 360. We're live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Jam-packed show uh, today. It, it will continue to be uh, the same tomorrow. The Tennessee Volunteers will be on Radio Row and at SEC Media Days. Hendon Hooker scheduled to be with us, the quarterback for the Vols. Uh, also, Cole Kublik from SEC Network, Billy Lucci from Tex-Ags, A&M's also there, and uh, Anaya Smith uh, arrested. He was going to be there as well. The wide receiver and captain will not be with them uh, tomorrow. So we will uh, chat with Billy about all things A&M and more and how Nick Saban speaks out of both sides of his mouth uh, when at the podium regarding NIL. Um Wrapping up today's show, and one thing I was doing last night, Paul, I was looking up some of the players because we honestly we don't know who we're going to get on a day-to-day basis based on how tight they try to keep their schedule. For instance, yesterday I promoted Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback. Will was tied up, so Stoops joined us. That's how Mark Stoops ended up on the show, unpromoted. Uh, up until t- today's show started. So I was, I was reading up on a couple of guys, and one guy that stood out to me is uh, a linebacker from Arkansas, Bumper Pool is his name. Bumper and Pool. I, Bumper. And I, th- I said, and he's a linebacker. He led the team in tackles, and he, he's going to set the all-time record for tackles if he stays healthy this year. And he, I was reading his story on his, – his name is James Morris Pool. That was his name given at birth. But he legally changed his name to Bumper James Morris Poole when he was 16 years old. He went to his parents and asked for permission to do it. And his dad was like, sure. Um, and it, in, he said in early grade school, uh, he was asked to write his name and he wrote down Bumper. <laughs> that was just, that was his name. So they legally changed it at the age of 16 to Bumper. It's a cool name. Sounds like a football player. Yeah. It gets after it, man. Uh, I, I love the backstory of that because I automatically just think it's a, a nickname. Yes, and I guess it, it, sounds, it, it is, it but is it's his legal name. Uh, when you that, take your nickname to extremes, yeah. then it becomes your legal name. Yes. I hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Um, All-Star game last night. I haven't seen the ratings, and it really doesn't matter. I, I think I tune in and out a lot like people would on a, a given weeknight for an all-star game that's just dragging on at certain points. You want to see the guys start. On second, uh, after seeing it, I'm glad Kershaw started the game. 
person like I understand why they made the move they did to start Kershaw uh, with the Dodgers um, and the way he reacted. You get the reaction to it. He does the pre-interview in the dugout, which he hated, and he gets three outs, and then he does the dugout interview afterwards. And he was ready to do it, and they asked him one question, went back to the pitch, and he, you could see him as they cut the mic. They're like, oh, is that it? Because he was ready to talk at that point. The, the talking element is, is the, the best part of the All-Star game right now, the mic'd up yes. element where at one point they had the pitcher and the center fielder mic'd up at the same time, and he gets the third out of the inning. You had the catcher and the pitcher mic'd up From at the, the same, same time. Team. And you're, they're calling pitches to each other there. They didn't have to use the, the device to call pitches. They were doing it through Fox's thing. Yeah. All right, high and in here, Cutter. Yeah, and the pitcher was calling it, not the catcher. Yeah. Not, not receiving the buzz, right? right? So uh, on that, that And then the Smoltz, one of the guys was asking Smoltz for yeah, what, should what I do? should throw. So that I, I'm shocked. Like, I love it. I'm shocked that I have seen in a regular season game on Fox this year, I think it was Bryce Harper before he got hurt, was mic'd up during a, 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 an actual game, not an all-star game. Yeah, they do it on and, Sunday night sometimes. And I'm, I'm surprised that it's made – I mean, can you imagine the NFL giving – the broadcast partner an option to mic up a player on the sideline and talk to them. You no, know what I mean? But like, the NFL's much more secretive. There's oh, there's you think baseball's not and all of that. I mean, I think at baseball. Well, heck, I think um, I think in baseball, a game I watched recently, uh, a left fielder playing at Fenway said, "I'm supposed to be." on the warning track for this guy, but I can't get myself to do it. So he gave away what the, but I mean, is that, that information doesn't, doesn't inform the hitter or the opposing team. He says, well, he's supposed to be two yeah. steps deeper in left field, but how does that affect my game? I can't, I can't hit. Now, if, if Tony Gwynn or Rod Carew was up, that, that might do something. Changes things. But do we have batters today who could say, all right, he's, and he's supposed to be deeper, but he's not playing me deeper. But I don't know if that's – is that really inside – pardon the pun – inside baseball to any team out there? Because they're basing that off of the analytics, which right. every team would have. So that's what I'm saying. What could a guy give away? I don't know. Other than a hand signal. That, I don't, that other than a pitcher much. and a catcher. That's what I'm saying. Football, I think if you're talking to a safety during the course of the game, anything you're asking him – I think a football coach would say well, would be tipping something off. But what's tipping something off baseball-wise unless you're talking about pitches? I don't think you'd be dealing with a pitcher or a catcher, but a field player, I don't think you'd be giving up that much. Yeah. I, um, but I, I think you'd be talking to a defender, not a base runner well, right? but I, I or think a batter. Aside from just giving away information, I'm surprised that they're granting that access from a club level. It's not like every baseball team is doing it. Like the Phillies were doing it. The time they, I don't know. To me, it's all about being locked in in the moment. And when you, in the dugout's one thing. He's playing right field and being he's chatting with the broadcast team as the pitches are being thrown. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm just surprised it's happening. I, yeah, I think it's great. I, um, I hope they lean into it more. I do, too. I do, too. Um, it'd be amazing if you had it on a local broadcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because that's what, what people exactly. are more focused in on for their team. We talk about that all the time. So we'll see where it goes. But uh, as an all-star game thing, it was terrific. Um, but it wasn't a good was, game. I mean, it was a 3-2 game with a lot of uh, scoreless and hitless half innings and innings. 
I'm looking this up because I'm drawing a blank, and I apologize for not having written this down. I knew I wanted to bring this up, though. One of the first things I thought of after the first inning, like once we got into the game, I'm thinking, man, what is different about this broadcast? And Joe Buck wasn't calling it because yeah. he's at Monday Night Football. So that 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 it had a different Changed feel to it. I'm like, is this? And I realized that we're watching Fox. Joe Buck's not calling the All Star game. And who was it? Davis that, something Davis. That's why I, I I failed to write this down. I should have looked looked this up earlier. But uh, my apologies. But you know, the, I I didn't think about it, but I did. Uh, it did strike me when they showed the booth that it was Smoltz and somebody Davis. I think. Okay. And I, I wasn't Joe Davis. It didn't register to me that it wasn't Buck, but I did think to myself, well, who is this Davis? Yeah, he, Joe. Joe is the new voice of the Fox baseball broadcasts. He's the guy. So I mean, he, he'll be the World Series guy, the whole thing. But it was jarring. Maybe jarring's a. a, a I noticed it immediately. I don't. I doubt America was like, man, we miss Joe Buck. He's the most hated broadcaster out there. He's very. Uh, but he's one got way the gravitas. Other. Yeah, yeah. And I really noticed it on the interviews. Yeah. So. I, I, in hindsight, now I I missed him, but I wasn't thinking about it during the game. Um, and we'll see how uh, Davis does in terms of uh, growing that. You got to start somewhere. Yeah, well, he started with the Dodgers. I mean, he he was the guy after Vin Scully. So he's already replaced a massive name in broadcasting, and now he's replacing Joe Buck. So is Buck. he doing TV? Is Steiner do radio there for the Dodgers? Uh, or vice versa? Because I know uh, Steiner's been there He was, he was doing a TV, I believe. Yeah. So um, all, all around, I, I enjoyed everything but the action at the plate. Uh, your guy, Giancarlo, with the MVP award. That yeah, was it's also not much a good, of an MVP vote. I mean, he had a two-run homer that made it two-two. But that was cool because he was Buxton mic'd up. So this goes back to he's mic'd up. He's chatting with Aaron Judge, and the inning ends, and he's jogging off the field. He goes, "Man, I hope I go get a hit now." And he steps up, and hits a homer, and that that was cool. the The other thing that's cool is he grew up going to Dodgers games with his dad, and he had fifty people. That there. was cool. That's another cool tie-in for yeah for the game itself. That was cool. And then they had, um, I thought of you, Paul, based on your column on Otani. Um, Got picked off pretty badly there. Yeah, but they interviewed him in the, the on-deck circle right before the first pitch. And I, I, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It was scripted. Otani knew what he was going to be asked, and I, I don't know if he rehearsed this answer. But he gave a perfect answer, English. I mean, that's what they need. Right. Um, he goes... I'm looking forward to the first pitch and the first swing. I'm swinging at the first pitch. First pitch, first swing. And and he gets up there, first pitch, first swing, single. And that's how the game started. And I thought they, that's deliberate, getting Otani the FaceTime and putting a voice to him that coincides with your column a bit. Yeah, and one of the things I, I figured out for that column or discovered, you know, he's taken some grief for using a translator. So he considers himself, from what I – figured out not fluent but he speaks english fine he just i think doesn't prefer to speak english in interview settings because he doesn't feel he's polished or or whatever however you would phrase yeah. it the translator is one of his best friends the translator actually during the lockout needed to be fired by the dodgers because he's a dodgers uh, uh, sorry angels he's an angels employee and employees of the team weren't allowed to interact with the players. 
So they had to fire him <laughs> so that he continued to deal with Otani. And then after the lockout was over, they rehired. What, I mean, that's just based on the, the, the CBA rules or whatever. Yeah, yeah, if you work for the team, you can be in contact with the player. That's amazing. So you had to fire the guy, and then um, he's – but he, I mean, he, so he's getting paid through Otani and not the team technically? No, I think he's being paid by the team. Oh, okay. So uh, Otani must have paid him or they found alternate means or whatever. But yeah. he's very, they're very tight. Um, NFL training camp, uh, one is officially underway, right? Yeah, maybe Jacksonville and today. Oakland or uh, Vegas? Yeah, I think so. Because they're the, that's, the, the, that's the Canton Pro Football Hall of Fame game yeah, on so August they 4th. Get, they get a head start. And uh, – so Tuesday's the giant reporting day. Wednesday is the giant starting day. But then there's three or four days of a. Uh, it's like three days acclimation. Acclimation, no, no full pads, and then and then every five days they have a, a mandatory day off. So the first full padded practice, if your team isn't Jacksonville or Las Vegas. The first full padded practice won't be until the week after next, or, or that weekend. Yeah. Right? Like the Sunday. I don't know how the days are going to fall for them. I don't know if the report date when you pass a physical is day one or if the first day of practice is day one for that rule. I think here in Nashville, and I don't know if this would fall the same everywhere, I would expect Nashville to be the, the next Monday would be the first padded practice. Coming up tomorrow from Atlanta, Hendon Hooker, Vols quarterback, will be on the show. Cole Kublet from the SEC Network, Billy Lucci, Frank Frangie, Burgess Owens, others, jam-packed show. We hope you'll join us just like it was today. We'll make the afternoon go by faster for you, 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern, OutKick 360 across the OutKick Network. Breakneck speed, which is what you need to use to get the hell out of the box. Don't block it and do lock your locks.